So I was in contemplation as to what should, like, should I teach this morning, or should we spend time in worship or intercession and whatnot? I feel like God would have us continue with our teaching. The reason why um, is uh, mainly because I heard God say it, so I'm going to do that. But also because um, we're going to be talking about King Saul today. And King Saul is one of the saddest stories in, in, in Scripture, just across the board. It's, it's just, this is a tragedy of, of just a strong magnitude. And we're not going to talk about the whole thing today, but we are going to talk about the introduction. Before I get into everything, um, I made some copies of the text that we're going to be in. The, the teaching today is going to be reading seven chapters of Scripture. So that's, that's going to be our teaching, not because I forgot to prepare, but because, uh, because that's what we're going to do to, to learn the text. Uh, I had some handouts. This is the text I'll actually be reading. So if you get frustrated because I'm reading ESV and you have the NIV, Stick your hand up, and Jake will give you one of these. Or if you don't have a Bible but would like to follow along, um, you can stick your hand up in the air as, as well if you didn't get, if you didn't get that um, but would like one. I, I don't have a lot left, so if you're sitting next to someone who has one, you can put your hand down so you can share with them and be lovingly communal in that way. So uh, as we introduced last week, we're going to be teaching through the um, life of David here in, in 2012. Um, starting in First Samuel, right around chapter uh, 16 next week. That's when we'll get into the actual like meat of things. But in order to understand First Samuel, in order to understand David, you really have to understand two people, Samuel and Saul. And so last week we talked about Samuel a, a good bit. Today we're going to talk about Saul and the way that Saul became the first king of Israel and, and some of the traps and pitfalls that Saul fell into. Um, so like I said, we're going to do this by immersing ourselves in the text and by reading the story. The, this, is an, this is an incredible story. Um, Samuel wrote at least the first part of, of 1 Samuel. And uh, even if he's not the one that wrote this particular text, whoever wrote this was just a really good writer. Um, it, it's really, it's, 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 an, it's a fascinating story. So follow along with me as I read out, out loud. And uh, from time to time, I'll stop and do some teaching about this point or that point. But for the most part... We're just going to flow through this text and learn some things together, particularly about obedience and about um, what it means to uh, obey God as a son as opposed to obey God as an orphan. Um, Remember, the reason why we're pursuing the story of David is because David understands sonship. David knows how to live as a son of God. And remember, this is a guy who's a murderer and an adulterer on, on top of it. So it's not like David doesn't have sympathy with us about the hard things and the, 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 the terrible things that, that we do. Um, David's right there with us, and he has a lot to give us. So chapter 9, verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV, and so are a lot of you. Congratulations. There was a man of Benjamin. Who's, oh, before I do that, before I do that. That was a good start, though, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's not forget that where we just came from is Samuel leading the people to repentance. Right? The people lost the ark of God with the Philistines, and it caused, uh, it caused the glory of God to depart from Israel. Remember the kid Ichabod that was born, who was named No Glory, because Eli's sons were wicked. And Samuel was raised up as a prophet and a judge. And, uh, and Samuel led the people in chapter 7 in a time of repentance. And as a, uh, coming out of that time of repentance, the, repeat, the people said, we want to have a king. And Samuel said, don't ask for a king. God's your king. The people said, no, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations around us. Samuel takes this as personal rejection. God says, don't take it personally. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. 
And so at the end of chapter 8, Samuel has received that word from God. He is going to be used by God to install a king as head over Israel. So at the end of chapter 8, he's told all the people gathered at this, at this service of repentance to go home and, you know, God will work this thing out. Samuel will work this thing out. They'll, they'll get the memo, all right? There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zoror, son of Bekarath, son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. This is the Brad Pitt of Israel. All right. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. And as he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the, the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Paul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor, and all he says comes true. So now, let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone. And there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. Notice how eager these young women are to talk to the Brad Pitt of Israel. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place, the place of worship. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is a man of whom I spoke to you. He it, he it is who shall restrain my people. Notice, the point of governance is restraining of a people. We tend to think that governance is about freeing people to be everything that they can be. And that gov it's government's job to make us as happy as we can possibly be in the way that we can. God's definition of a king, of a man ruling as a king over his people is restraint of the people. Very interesting stuff. God's ideal as king over a nation is freedom. Right? God's ideal as king over a nation is freedom. When a man rules, the government is restraining Verse 18, 
Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where's the house of the seer? Samuel said, Samuel answered, Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys, now remember they haven't talked about the donkeys, as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? It is not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what is kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed, that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. When he had passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Now, remember this statement. Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over Israel? Right? It's absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial in the story of Saul. God anointed him to be prince. And you can already see the supernatural ways that all this is coming together, right? I mean, Samuel and Saul haven't met. Saul's looking for his donkeys. Samuel doesn't know about the donkeys. Samuel says, you know, don't worry about your donkeys, even though you didn't know about them, right? There's clearly something crazy going on here. They go up to worship with the rest of, of the priests and the, uh, um, the leaders in that area upon the high place. Saul displaces, I'm sorry, Samuel displaces someone else in order to give Saul the head seat at the table. Saul then gets Samuel's portion. That's what the leg would have been for the priest, right? A good portion, good meat. He gives it to, you know, everyone's looking at this going, who is this person? You know, like, this is, this is more than strange. Uh, are you on your way after the meal? No, I'll be spending, spending the night at Samuel's house. Not just anybody spends the night at Samuel's house. Right? I mean, things are very much up in the air. So the next morning, he stops him and declares over him the anointing of the Lord with a whole flask of oil. When you read about anointings in Scripture, right, they dump oil on the person's head, a lot of oil. Like it like runs down. It's oftentimes perfumed oil. If you ever tried to get oil off of you, it's not easy. It's meant to stick around, right? It's meant to be slimy. You're meant to stink of it. You're meant to, you, you are the anointed one. Verse 2, when you depart, now remember, this is the sign that God has anointed you. More, more craziness here. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you want to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. 
And that you shall come to Gibeah, after that you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, lyre, before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. I tried to think of a contemporary concept to, uh, um, to like, show what would happen here, and this would be sort of like me, you know, instructing, instructing one of you. Start walking east on Cumberland Street, and you'll come across, you'll come across three people. One will be riding a bike, and the other one will be carrying two bags of groceries, and the third will be carrying, you know, a, a, um, a box of, of bottled water. And when you come across them, what will happen here is uh, the person on the bike will ask you if, if you want their bike. You're welcome to take it if you would like to. Uh, they're going to give you one of their bags of groceries and, and four bottles of water. After that, you're going to continue walking east on North Cumberland Street. Uh, you're going to get to the Lebanon Valley House of Prayer, and there will be a prayer meeting going on there. Uh, those people will invite you in. They'll be praying. They'll be playing a, a guitar, two djembes, and, and a tambourine. Uh, definitely go in there. When you go in there, you will be struck with the Holy Spirit. You will, uh, uh, you will have all kinds of, of manifestations and, and beautiful things happen. You'll actually become a whole other person that no one's ever recognized you to be before. Um, but don't be worried about that. After that happens, go ahead and go on your way. Contemporary example. Verse 8. Then go down before me to Gilgal. And then I, that's like me saying, and then go to Mannheim and sit there. I'll be there. Trust me. Then go to Gilgal, and behold, I'm coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show, show you what you shall do. So stay in Mannheim, eat at the subway, I'll be there. Or actually eat those groceries that that person gave you and drink that water. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Hmm. And we've already been told that he's going to be turned into another man. This is very, very, uh, and we'll see this in First and Second Samuel. This is very New Testament talk, right? I mean, you don't you don't hear words like this a lot, not even from David. The word heart is one of the most frequently used words in the books of First and Second Samuel. We know that David is a man after God's own heart, right? Um, but, but this is very New Testament-y. This is very 2 Corinthians 5, right? You will be made a new creature. This is very New Covenant stuff. I will write my words in you. I will give you a new heart, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. Um, this is very, very interesting stuff, um, the way that God is dealing with his, with his anointed one, Saul. All these signs, verse 9, the end of verse 9, God gave another heart. All these signs came to pass that day. Now, when that happens you tend to trust the person who told you that stuff, right? I mean, when that, when that happens, God is clearly speaking through someone. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now this is interesting. 
The Lord has declared a new identity on Saul through anointing. The Lord has changed him into another man. The Lord has given him a new heart. And Saul returns home to the safety of his environment and his home and doesn't say a word of it to anyone. Hmm. Verse 17, Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of, of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that, you were, that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Which is exactly what you want to do to the person that you've just rejected. Is then stand in front of them. Right? And in front of their authority. Like, what's going to happen here? Then Samuel brought out all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Now, understand that Lot, casting lots was the way that decisions were made, and God would... Uh, he would work things according to this system of lots. An Urim and a Thummim, right? And so they would designate uh, this group. If the Urim falls, it goes to you. If the Thummim falls, it goes to you or it goes to this. And so they would just keep, keep casting lots. And the Urim and the Thummim, they would put them in the, the, a linen ephod or they would cast them on the ground and they would pull one out. Whichever one it was, that, that's where you went. So casting lots over all 12, every tribe obviously wants to have the king of Israel come from their tribe. So they cast lots to see where it falls, and it falls to Benjamin. And then they cast lots again. He brought the tribe of Benjamin nearby his clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. Right? So now all these clans are there. Which, one is the, which tribe is the king in God? And it's the Matrites. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. So which dude is it in the tribe of the Matrites? It's him, taken by Lot. But when they found him, he could not, when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the luggage. And they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from the shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. All right. So through these first two chapters, right, the anointing of God is poured out by Samuel to Saul in a completely private ceremony. And, and Samuel doesn't say anything about it. Saul doesn't say anything about it, not even to his own family. Right? Then it comes time to gather Israel together. And they go through the Israel, the Jewish system of choosing these kinds of things through the casting of lots. And through purely supernatural casting of lots and the casting of lots as God designed it to be done dedicated to the people of Israel and used in that process, it falls on Saul. Saul is supposed to be the one that's the king. Who are these two processes for? Saul, exactly. This is not an election. This is, this is not for the inclusion of the people in the process of government. 
This is so, both of these ceremonies are for the fact that that man is called and he is anointed and he is chosen. And because of both the private ceremony with the man of God, with the prophet of God, and because of the supernatural way that God, through his governance of his own people, walks them through the steps of it falling directly on him again, this man can walk forward with a calling that says, I am the king of Israel. God gives him a new heart. God makes him a new man. And God does everything that circumstantially that can be done to give him a confident standing in his calling to the work that God has called him to. So, I'm running out of time. Chapter 11. The Philistines, again, are making trouble. And they come to this small town in northern Israel and they say, we're going to kill you. And... uh, and uh, unless you surrender to us. But if you surrender to us, we're going to take all your women and children, slaves. And they say, we don't want that to happen. Will you give us, uh, you know, will you, will you treat us with mercy? And they say, well, yeah, okay, we'll treat you with mercy. But we're going to gouge out the right eye of every person in the city. And then everybody will know that you couldn't, you know, stand up for yourself. And they're like, okay, we'll accept your terms. Just give us a week to see if we can find somebody to help us. Now, remember, Israel's completely divided at this point. Like, like there, there, there's no army, there's no leadership. Samuel's not a military leader. And so, so the call goes out, well, someone help us. Saul hears about this, and Saul gets ticked off. And Saul is, is in, he's plowing at the time, and he kills his two oxen, and he cuts them all up into pieces, and he sends his pieces, these pieces of these oxen. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so like this head comes rolling into your town. And Saul, the leader, anointed king of Israel, says that he's going to do the same thing to all of you men unless you go join him and defend this city. So uh, this leadership by him works, and this great army together, and they go, and they beat back the Philistines, and they save the city. And everybody goes, yes, this is our king. Yahoo! You know, we we got a king that can lead us. We beat the Philistines for the first time in, in, in forever. You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. I mean, they're, they're blown away because the Philistines had just been working everybody over for, for, for years. I mean, it's just been, it's unbelievable how good things are right now for the, the nation of Israel. And they even go so far to believe in Saul as to say, let's get all the people that talked badly about him, let's bring them together so that Saul can kill them in front of us because that'll teach them to not believe in our king. Saul says, no, we don't have to do that. Verse 1, chapter 12. Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is my witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is the witness. Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron. So he walks down this great history of his people, right? And he walking down his... Uh, um, uh, the, the history of, of how he judged them and how he delivered them. And he gets to verse 13 and says, And now behold, the kingdom you have chosen... For whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, 
And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before you, before your eyes. Is not wheat harvest today, right? In harvest season in Israel, there's no rain. The rain has already come. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And the people said to Samuel, Pray for your service of the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sin this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, Don't be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Now this is interesting, right? The people are calling for a king. The people get a king. This whole time Samuel's doing exactly what a prophet is meant to do, which is tell the truth to people, to bring the word of the Lord to people as God directs him to or directs her to. And Samuel keeps doing this. He keeps bringing this word back. This is wicked. This is wrong. This is evil. God is your leader, not a king. You want a king? Fine. God will give you a king. We'll go through that process together. But understand, you're wrong. And then he gets them all together for his farewell address. He vindicates himself. And then one last time says, you have committed great wickedness against God. I don't think you're getting it. So I'm going to ask God to do something great to show you that what I'm saying is real. And this big rain comes and dumps a bunch of rain on them. People finally go, ah! That's what they said. Ah! We have sinned against God by asking for a king. And so what's the first thing that they want to do? They want to fix it. Right? How many of you would love to fix the wickedness that you've done? How many of you would, would love to, to, either be, to, to either fix it or to be fixed? Unfortunately, God doesn't fix. Like, that's not what God does. Because in God's mind, you're not a problem. We fix problems. We fix machines. You know, we look for, for solutions. You're solutionless. Like, you, we understand that, right? Like, like we're human. There's no solution to the human problem. Not, not in and of ourselves. This is not fixable. God can heal us. He's all about that. Of course, that, that causes a, a whole, or that's needful of a whole relationship, a whole walking, a whole road. But God's not looking down at he, from heaven at earth going, look at all of these problems. He's not looking, even looking at his people right here and going, man, you're beyond. What do you want? What do you want from me? The consequences of the people's sin is real. It, it does walk itself out. And the blessing of God is still upon the people as he does it. And it's oftentimes upon the people 
because of the intercession of God's people in that place, which is what they begged Samuel to keep doing. Please continue to pray for us. Why do they know to do that? Because that's what Moses did at the times that God was really serious about just destroying everybody and starting over. The people are begging, please don't forget us. Don't, please pray for us. Um, all right, so again, in the sake of time, chapter 13. Let me tell you the story of chapter 13. Chapter 13, Saul again goes out to fight the Philistines. And, and he's the full-on king now. You know, like he, he has the right to muster an army and to have a draft and all of those things, all stuff that Samuel says that he can do. So, uh, so he goes out to fight um, the Philistines. And he's going to go fight the Philistines, and, and, and everything's being drawn up together. But as the nation of Israel, you worship Jehovah, you don't go to battle before you worship God. Right? You want to make sure everything is right with God before you go and risk the, the, the life of your nation in a battle against the Philistines, who are significantly outnumbering you. Verse 22 says that the Israelites had no steel or iron weapons because the Philistines had taken all of the blacksmiths and all of the metal workers out of Israel, like they killed them all, and they kept all of that in their own, in, in their, so that, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to beat up people who don't have weapons. And uh, so this is what the Philistines try and do. Saul wins this incredible victory, but at a price. Samuel told Saul to wait to go to battle until Samuel arrived to sacrifice, right? In these days, the priest sacrifices. Everyone knows it. Day one, day two, day three, Samuel still hasn't shown up. The Philistines are, are getting closer. My army's getting restless. Day four, day five, Samuel still hasn't shown up. Day six, Saul's freaking out. Day seven, it's time. I mean, the Philistines are here. What do we do? Samuel, of his own accord, builds an altar. I'm sorry. Saul, of his own accord, builds an altar and in direct disobedience to God, makes a sacrifice on the altar in order to appease God's requirements before going into battle. As he's completing his sacrifice, Samuel walks up. And, Saul said, and Samuel says, what have you done? Saul says, I, you weren't here. Like, what, was I, what was I supposed to do? You were supposed to obey. Chapter 14. It's not over. The battle with the Philistines isn't over in chapter 14. And so in chapter 14, we see Saul do what a lot of us do when we disobey God. And that is this. We get religious. And we try to please God inappropriately. Saul has sacrificed wrongly and disobeyed God by doing so. And so the, there's another battle, right? And, and the Philistines, they just come from everywhere. They're, they're like, they're like uh, sand on the seashore. And, and the Philistines are again coming against Israel. And uh, um, Saul's son, Jonathan, is a great warrior, and he has an armor bearer who would also have been like his personal bodyguard. And so uh, Jonathan is sitting there, and he says, the, the text says he's looking over at the garrison of the Philippines. And he says to his armor bearer, I guess this brilliant idea, says to his armor bearer, what if just you and I went up against this, this army? Like, God could give us a victory, couldn't he? 
And the armor bearer says, well, I think so. His armor bearer tells him, do whatever is in your heart. Do do whatever is in your heart. I'm with you. (laughs) So these two dudes, two, mind you, go over to the garrison of the Philippines, and they they start laying it on the Philippines. Sure enough, Jonathan begins on his own with his armor bearer to rout the Philistine army. And it causes this great confusion in the camp of the Philistines. The Israelites see it, they take advantage of it, and they go rushing into the battle as well. And these men fight all day long. I mean, they, they and, 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 by, and this isn't like, this isn't modern warfare. There's no smart bombs. You know, like this is in your face, one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat. This is as gory and as bloody and as exhausting as you can imagine. And it goes all day long. Like if you're one of the guys that's still alive in the afternoon and the evening, you've killed a lot of people by this point. You've done a lot of running. You've done a, a, a lot of fighting. It's absolutely exhausting for these people. Samuel, or Saul, though, doesn't go into battle, right? He's the king. The king doesn't go into battle. That's ridiculous. Saul is still licking his spiritual wounds back here. And he knows that he's disobeyed God. And in his mind, in his mind, he's got to do something to impress God. And so after his men rout the Philistines in this full day-long battle, in the heat, in, in, in all of this work that they did for him, he says... Now, no one is allowed to eat or drink anything at the end of the day. No eating, no drinking. This is a fast to the Lord. God didn't tell him to declare this fast. He declared this fast because he had a guilty conscience for what he did in disobeying God, and he was somehow trying to to, to impress God with with his zeal for God. God didn't tell him to do this fast. And then he goes so far as to say, if anyone in my army does eat anything, I don't even care if it's my own son, Jonathan. There, I'll kill him. I'll have him set before uh, uh, the firing squad, and, and, or you know, however they killed people then, and uh, capital punishment. It'll be bad. Like, I, don't, I don't even care. It was complete, complete loss of shepherding, complete loss of care for his people in a fast that God didn't call. Well, sure enough, Jonathan's walking through the woods, and there's a beehive that's dripping honey onto the ground. He sees it. He hasn't heard about the fast. He dips the end of his staff into it, and he eats the honey. And the scripture says it brightens his eyes. In other words, it brings some life back to him, like he, he's able to leave his exhaustion. And the scriptures are, are clear about what Saul had said. And then they lose a battle the next time, and Saul says, what happened? Who sinned? And the lots were cast. And who did the lot fall on? It fell on Jonathan. And Saul was going to do it. Saul was ready to kill his own son inappropriately based on a religious decision out of his own insecurity about the disobedience that he had committed against God. And Jonathan's men stood up for him and said, no way, you will not harm him. And Saul doesn't. Verse 15, Samuel said to the Lord, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way. They came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim. 2,000, 200,000 men. 
excuse me, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites left from the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, now just notice his bold statement here. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Verse 14, Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to the sacrifice of the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. Key verse, 15, 17. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go divide to destruction. Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites. And fight against them till they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. And I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice of the Lord your God in Gilgal. Verse 17 is the key. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the king of Israel? Though you are little in your own eyes, are, are you not king of Israel? Saul actually thought he obeyed God. He says it twice, very clearly. I have obeyed the Lord. I have followed out the commandments that God gave me. I, I, I have done it. And Samuel, and God are both saying, no, you didn't. The reason why you didn't is because you didn't listen. Like you didn't listen to what God said, so you did not carry out. The reason you didn't listen, though, is what's most peculiar. The reason you didn't listen is because you see yourself wrong. You are little in your own eyes, but in God's eyes, you are a king. Saul 
Saul is one of the clearest demonstrations and personifications of the orphan spirit in Scripture. A man who no matter how extremely God showed to him, both supernaturally and relationally, who he was and what he was meant to be and how he was meant to be it, he would not receive it from God. He continually defined himself. Rather than receiving God's favor, God's anointing, God's oil over his head, God's casting of the lots and choosing of him from the whole nation of Israel, and rather receiving from God the gift of that call and of that newness, of that other manness, of that new heart, Saul would not receive it. Saul's self-perspective continues to be, I am small. And so he does the works of a small man. He only listens part way. He calls for rash vows. You know, he calls for a rash religious fast to impress God. His obedience isn't obedience because it's not full obedience. And he really thinks that he's obeyed God. And Samuel asks him some great questions. Has the Lord, verse 22, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Which, that concept, I think, draws together all seven of these chapters. We see Saul, when the anointing of the Lord is laid on him, trying to, A, talk Samuel out of it, B, not inform his family about it, we then see him at the casting of the lots, hiding among the baggage, even though he knows full well what it is that's going to happen through the voice of God, through the seer, through Samuel, who has gone over and above what a prophet ever needs to do to prove that his word is valid. He then leads his people into battle, but he gets afraid, and he, he, he willingly, knowingly transgresses God's law. And then he makes another bad choice in trying to make up for it with a rash vow. And then he doesn't listen to the instruction of the Lord through Samuel. And he finds himself honestly thinking that he obeyed with an utter inability to see it, to see what he had done until it was completely laid out for him. Then it was a, oh, And all of this is based on the fact that he feared the people. A king does not fear his people. An orphan is afraid. A, a regular, you know, small little guy, Israelite, yeah, he's afraid of this big nation, but not a king. God anointed him as a king. God called him a king. God named him a king. God gave him a new heart. God made him another man. But Saul would not 
or receive that identity. He would not take the gift of the Lord that God wanted to give him and walk forward in it. And thus he could not please God. You understand what I'm saying? Like it, no matter how good Saul's heart was, because he was not being who he was, he could not please God with what he did. Even his partial obedience wasn't pleasing to God because it wasn't the Saul that God had made that was doing it. It was another Saul. It was a fallen Saul. It was an orphan Saul. God wanted King Saul to obey his voice. This is what God has done with all of us. We are all princes of God. We are all named and called. We are all given new hearts. Obedience as an orphan is not obedience. It will always have something else mixed in with it. It will always have some kind of personal validation, some kind of fear of man, some kind of religious spirit. Serving God out of orphan spirit is not serving God. It's serving self. What God desires from us is to fully receive his love, to take that upon ourselves as our identity and live in dependence on him from that spot. Orphans need to be independent. Orphans need to pull away from God's word. Orphans need to add to it. Orphans need to call rash vows. Small men can't lead. But God has said you're a king. He's anointed you. And it was Saul's view, his perspective of the way he saw him that caused the chain reaction of all these events. It started with his identity. It started with who he was in his heart. Most specifically, that he could not believe that God loved him enough to call him to be the king. that God would grant that favor. Or if he did believe that God loved him and granted him that amount of favor, he didn't want it. I think a lot of this hits home very close to where a lot of us live. Self-perspective is everything. How are you told to love your neighbor? As yourself. How do you, I mean, do you ever think about that? Christians hate that phrase. Sounds like psychobabble to us. That's God. Love yourself? How's a man to love his wife? Not as he loves himself, as he loves his own body and cares for it. I mean, that's even a step further. Self-perspective, receiving from God the identity that he wants to bless us with, we will see is everything in this story of Saul and David. 1 Samuel is all about one guy is an orphan, and one guy is a son. And the question for all of us today is, will we receive the new heart that God's given us? Will, will we receive his love? Will we receive his grace? Will we receive his mercy? He has lavished upon it, uh, it upon us. We reek of his oil. We are slimy all over us because we have been bathed in the oil of his spirit of love and truth and grace. But we want to stop short. We want to redefine. And what we will keep coming back to in 1 Samuel is who will we be? Saul or David? Saul or David? Orphan or son? Old heart, new heart.
unwilling to receive, receives despite the fact he knows he doesn't deserve. Let's pray together. God bless your word, the reading of it, the truth in it. God, open us to your newness of heart in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not going to end with music today. We're going to end with meditations on scripture, and Justin's going to lead us in that. Today for uh, Lectio Divina, um, as we chew on the word, um, we want to take everything that Jay was just talking about from, from 1 Samuel, and we want to listen to a, a New Testament um, scripture passage and uh, be listening to the Spirit of God as far as what the Word of God is saying to us. Um, in this place, this is a place to seek God, to receive from God, to listen. Uh, Terry is actually going to be playing a classical piece of music in the background, so let that minister to you as well. Um, and it's interesting, too, un- unknowingly, can you put the, the scripture up? This was what was um, prayed and spoken over Violet at the baby dedication, which wasn't planned. So I think it's really interesting how that happened today. So I'm going to read this once, and then we're going to reflect on it for a couple minutes um, in the quietness of your own heart. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So may you, my brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, may you fully receive from God his gift to you of a new heart and the new creation that you are in him. Amen and amen. Thanks for being here today. Go with God.